everyone. It's been a while, but we're back to Tuning Fork, the show about music and the Pitchfork Media hype machine. I remembered it after all this time. Yeah. Uh, I'm David. My name is Matt. And our guest today is... Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Brandon, but most people know me as Bran, so you can just call me Bran. That's fine. Welcome. Yeah, yeah Bran uh, is the host of New Nintendo Podcast XL, which I am going to appear on uh, about Mario Kart 64 at some point. I have promised to do so, and I'm excited to do that whenever that happens, um, because I have a lot of words to say about that game, because it's probably the Nintendo game I've played the most throughout my life. Um yeah, so looking forward to that. I'm sure you are too. Yeah, I am. I'm actually wanted to see if you want to do that sometime relatively soon. So let's Ew. make it happen. Nice. Yeah, I've been I've been not podcasting a lot lately, so that sounds good. Pretty much um, same. Like I think um other than like I did an H Kip like a month and a half ago and I did the the City Girls movie two. Um yeah. both of which were, you know, an exercise in talking about negative things. <laughs> don't know if you've seen sex in the city 2 it is not a good movie no one yeah. should watch it let alone watch it for a podcast and then let alone watch it for a podcast where you watch it once a week for an entire year uh tim bat and guy montgomery are braver than the troops absolutely <laughs> anyway i'm just gonna uh, pop open this quick ooh, beeb. Nice. let's see what we got today we got jam up the mash by collective arts brewing I don't have a I don't have a podcast beer today. Yeah, same same here. I gotta. I mean, I I bought a bunch of beers as like to have for podcast beer, and then you know I drank them all. So this is actually my last option. So I'm glad that I yeah. still had one beer left, and it was one of my tasty ones. We're we're talking about something that is better than uh, that movie we just mentioned today. Uh, what uh-huh. are we talking about today, Brandon? Uh, we are talking about Grizzly Bear's 2006 album, uh, Yellow House. Hell yeah. yes. Um, for me. The album that I always really liked with Grizzly Bear was always Vacatomist because you know it's their it's their popular album. It's their break. It's like I mean I guess you could consider this their breakout because you know it got a high Pitchfork score. It got them signed to Warp when they were making it. So yeah. like functionally this is their breakout, but that was like their breakout breakout. Like that was their we're gonna be playing like late night television sets. Yeah, that was their Meriwether Post Pavilion. It so was to speak. their Meriwether Post Pavilion, and yeah. not their uh, not their woman vocalizing men speaking backwards <laughs> yeah not their strawberry jam mm-hmm. i was gonna... if they were lucky this album could have gotten them on late night with conan o'brien <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it did though i don't think they got any of the songs here on tv no i don't think so which is really which is kind of weird because i mean um there's something about this album that kind of struck me when i was listening to it today i was just like on a walk listening to it um and there were some melodies that were coming up that i'm like I swear to God, I've been trying to like think of where this is from in my head for like a year, because it just kind of it kind of worms its way back into my head every once in a while. Yeah, and that's that's also just true of the songs "Knife" and "Colorado" because they both are uh, <laughs> particularly good, and I can give you the spoiler that they're probably my two favorites on the album. Very, yeah, there very was like a tracks. year where you could not get away from "Knife" as a song. Yeah. And uh, even even though like I've spent most of my time listening to the song Knife, listening to the Born Ruffians cover of it, uh, the, <laughs> the other band that made no sense being on Warp Records. Yep. <laughs> and so of course when uh, they were they needed a cover to fill out one of their EPs, they they did Knife because it was like it was around the same year, it was somewhere before Vacatomist came out that they did. I think it might have been 2008 actually. So a couple years yeah. after after its heyday. But so uh, so. Uh... Brandon, where did when did you like get your start listening to Grizzly Bear? 
Um, it's actually kind of a not a long story, but uh, so I would say roughly around 2006, I started to hear um, the song "On a Neck on a Spit" on Adult Swim, like during their bumpers. And oh. I had no clue like what song it was, but I was like, man, I gotta figure out what this song was. And then I just yeah, didn't. They, they had some interesting choices for those bumpers back in the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of Warp Records and like Stone mm-hmm. Stones Throw and according stuff. to uh, according to Wikipedia, there were six songs on this album that were used for those bumpers. <laughs> Reprise, nice. Little Brother, On a Neck on a Spit, Central and Remote, Plans, and Easier were all used for them. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, the only one but Adult Swim was obviously run by hipsters. <laughs> yeah, briefly while we are on the topic of Adult Swim bumpers, uh, rest in peace, MF Doom. Yes. Yeah. Can't yeah, like sure. that. That he is like he was most of them. It was him and Jay Dilla that were like ninety percent of the bumpers for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Um. But yeah. So I heard that, and then a whole like year went by, and I would go to the library and like get a bunch of like CDs, like just on loan. And one of them I picked up was the Friend EP, and so that was actually my first exposure to Grizzly Bear. Um. And I listened to it, and I was like, oh, you know, this is this is fine. This is good. Um, but I still could never figure out um, where that on a, on a Neck on a Spit song came from. Uh, I, I still didn't make the connection that it was those two. It was the same band. Um, and then I heard that song again in this, like, CW show called Reaper. I was at my friend's apartment, mm-hmm. and it was just on. And it was in there. I was like, it's that fucking song. Like, what is this song? <laughs> um and then, like, a whole other year goes by, and it's roughly, like, it's 2008, and I'm in, like, my fall semester in college, and a, a buddy of mine uh, was like, hey, you should really, like, really listen to this band more. So I actually listened to Yellow House for the first time in 2008, and that's when I really fell in love with the band. And then it was a real, like, when I finally got to that song and when I finally heard that part, I was like, Oh my God, I finally found this song after like thinking about it for like the last two years. <laughs> yeah. This was the age where you couldn't just Shazam something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, music just wasn't as easily, easily accessible as it is now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, in some ways it was more accessible in that you could, you know, get any album you wanted from Mediafire. Yeah. But it was, <laughs> You know, SiteMediaFire.com was... album title in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. Classic times. Also, it's I, I when, like, the, when only... the average person knew how to torrent. Yeah. I think the only music streaming at the time was like Rhapsody and maybe Pandora. Neither yeah. services I used. Um, yeah. I was primarily on like SoulSeek and yeah. uh, otherwise it was just like CDs that I would rip from the library and put them on my computer. I mean, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I got a lot of CDs from uh, the library because I grew up a block away from a library, so I'd just walk down there and find a couple and walk back. Did they did they give you a limit? Because mine was a hundred and so I would get a hundred CDs <laughs> at a time. Good lord. I, I didn't feel like carrying that many, so I think I only ever got like ten at the most. It's yeah, what, kind of what ridiculous. I can shove into a backpack. <laughs> yeah. So Grizzly Bear, uh this is technically their second album but it's really their debut as a band because the first album horn of plenty was just a kind of solo project from ed drost the the uh lead singer um and uh and that had a couple of uh 
of like overdubs from uh, I think Chris Bear. Yeah, Chris Bear um, had drums on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that that was it for Horn of Plenty. I I got the reissue of that on on vinyl for Christmas, um, and it's a good album, but it's definitely not as polished as this one. Yeah, no, it's and, like, very much. The crazy thing about the polish on this album is just like I I know like home recording being like impressive is like barely a thing anymore for any music just because of how many tools exist at home mm-hmm. but yeah, like you can do whatever you want you can do whatever now. you want but even like even in 2006 there were still a lot of options for you or i guess 2005 when they actually recorded it um but it's still like very impressive what they managed to get onto tape yeah especially yeah, they, considering they... the the wide array of instruments that are present on the album uh yeah like they, they recorded it in uh in ed Droth's mother's house um and uh and chris taylor uh is the producer of it and he produced all the rest of their albums since phenomenal work phenomenal work maybe one of the like he's like the secret like weapon of grizzly bear oh, yeah. like yeah just like does. there's a lot of talent in the band but like he really makes everything pop he puts it all together yeah i feel like with a with a less experienced hand um the fact that like all things considered they don't really have like the strongest harmonies on their singing like compared to like their influences yeah. and like the Beach Boys and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and their but, contemporaries like like uh, like Fleet Foxes, for example. Like yeah, everybody, exactly. everybody in the band has like an amazing tenor singing voice, and they all have like you know like like you were saying Beach Boys esque harmonies. But right. Gri- Grizzly Bear is a little bit a little bit more loose with the harmonies. I think. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah, like like um, Daniel Rawson is the stronger singer of the of the two lead singers. Clearly. Yeah, for sure. Ed Drost has like he has a nice voice, but his voice is still like it gets kind of reedy in the higher notes. Um, yeah. But like all that considered, um, everything is layered in such a way that everything really sounds good. Like they he knows exactly when not to have the vocals on the forefront of the mix. And this is something that was like even noticeable. Just like I was listening on some Bluetooth headphones while walking next to a busy street, <laughs> and like this kind of stuff still stands <laughs> out. Yeah. And that's how you know an album is well mixed. You don't need, mm-hmm. like, super good headphones to appreciate, like, the things that they're doing with it. And that's, like, uh, an extremely... But, of course, we have super good headphones <laughs> because we are audiophiles here. <laughs> nope, I, I, I will listen to things on my, my shitty $35 Bluetooth headphones uh, that I got from Amazon Selects. We're, we're a Skull Candy family here, <laughs> and we will always be a Skull Candy family. <laughs> don't say those words to me. <laughs> I say as if I didn't listen to, like all the music in like our heyday of pitchfork listening like you know yeah. 2006 to 2009 etc um all through the same pair of skull candy headphones which i still have even though i broke them um because <laughs> yeah. i didn't feel like throwing them out yeah, they're important to uh that era of oh, course definitely i mean they're they're fucking blueberry blueberry color they're beautiful <laughs> <laughs> can't get rid of those it's also just yeah. like man throwing out electronics just sucks it's, it's a hassle it does it's, even if you have, find like a good like electronics recycling place, it's just like man, you're just taking all these rare earth metals and throwing them on the ground. Yeah, pretty Sad. much. Sad to think about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, I feel like I never appreciated uh, Yellow House as much as uh, as Vicadimus because Vicadimus was like the real. Uh, it, it was more to the like I was there when it was coming out, kind of feeling yeah. like as it, it like I basically started like listening to music <clears throat> properly in like 2007, <laughs> maybe 2008. So after this album came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, Yellow House was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was one of the ones that I had listened to uh, before I graduated from high school. 
um, because of James. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is not surprising. Uh, Everything is because so... of James and all these back to James. The podcast <laughs> inception is James. Yeah. So, yeah. So I listened to it um, and I liked it and I got a lot more into it like right before uh, the Cadmus came out mm-hmm. because um, like when Friend was still their newest thing, they appeared on uh, the Letterman show and they performed two weeks before the album came out. Uh, and I was like, oh shit, like these guys are like, they're polishing their stuff into like a fine, a finely tuned pop machine. And so I should probably go back and re-listen to Yellow House. And I did. And like, it's God, even it's like really... just thinking forward, even just thinking forward to Vicat to uh, to two weeks, their harmonies got so much stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Whereas, remember yeah, like, on this one, like it's almost you could you could you could sense the weakness, but at the same time, it was so it was all well done and it was all earnest. So mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I had a hard time really faulting them for it. What did had Department of Eagles already released something at this point? Yes, so they came out with their their debut album. Uh, in i want to say 2007 um if i remember uh, in, correctly in your, in your park was 2008 and that's like the okay. main department of eagles album mm-hmm. they released uh their debut album on october 21st 2003 oh wow yeah so i don't um, even think i've ever heard this one no, so. i haven't either <laughs> yeah um, functionally yeah. in your park is the debut for me <laughs> yeah yeah and that's also their uh their last album that's what it looks like. It seems like they had yeah. an EP out at some point after that, but nothing major. Yeah, and major. then Rawson went off to just do Grizzly Bear and solo stuff, which is all very good, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's like, I, I, I really like that in, in all the interviews and uh, and such around Yellow House, um, Ed Drost makes a point to say that he is not the leader of the band, nor is he the main <laughs> creative force of the band. Um, yeah, not anymore. Well, yeah, he like well, he said it straight up. It's just like, it's like uh, Daniel wrote half the songs on this album. Like yeah, yeah. most of it only works because of uh, of Chris Taylor's band pro- ad- like uh, production. And like, yeah. Speaking of <laughs> Pitchfork, we should probably actually talk about the review in addition to the uh, in addition to the uh, interview. Um, it got an eight point seven and BNM. Man, does every did every Grizzly Bear get BNM? I feel like it's it's pretty close, if not. I think everyone uh, except maybe their latest album. Their latest did not. Painted Ruins did not. Yeah. And Horn of Plenty did not. Both were both were high sevens. Yeah. So the the run from Yellow House through Shields all did. Yeah, I need to listen to Painted Ruins more. Um, I I got the LP of it uh, also for Christmas this year, so nice. Uh, I'll probably end up listening to that one a lot more. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely one I need to go back to. Uh, I listened to it once the year it came out, and I don't think I've touched it since. Uh, it's that was me. Yeah, that's Shields. the thing. And like Shields, that's the thing about highest... recent albums. Yeah. yeah, Shields is their actual is actually their highest review uh, at nine point one. One one yeah. point oh, wow. one points higher than Vicadimist, and it's a Lindsay Zolad's review, which I feel like we haven't actually gotten to do one yet, even yeah. though she was always one of Pitchfork's best writers. True. We're, yeah, we're eventually the... going to get to the point where we're going to start picking reviews based on who wrote them. <laughs> that, that's when we're going to get real into the meta of this podcast. Just do a yeah, string yes. of Ian Cohen's all after one, all one after another. The uh, the review for Yellow House is by Mark Richardson. It's very factual and to the point. Um, it talks about how they evolved from Horn of Plenty. It gets uh, it mistakes Drost's voice for Rawson's voice mm-hmm. uh, in at least one spot. 
um, which they call out in the uh, interview that yeah. was uh, published a couple months later. Which it's like it's very funny that they do that, like the interview for Pitchfork, and not like you know issue a correction, even just like a parenthetical. Like it's a yeah. website; you have the ability to do this. <laughs> maybe they did. Uh, like maybe they lost any corrections they made when they moved to the new website. Maybe because there's a lot of there's a lot of reviews also that don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Richardson still seems to write for the site, albeit not very often. He had uh, four reviews for for the year 2020. And most of them seem to be like um, Sunday reviews, which I think is yeah. where I think that's where a lot of the longtime people do like all their work now. Mm-hmm. Although I do like it as a feature because it does mean that there's like a review written in March 2020 for Godspeed's F sharp A sharp Infinity. So <laughs> I do love that yeah. as someone who loves that album. It's great. But yeah, no, it's a very, yeah, very just, like, facts-based review. Like, I, I I have a hard time, like, saying anything positive or negative about the review, other than, like, you know, lambasting it for getting the singers wrong. Yeah. Even just I, looking I, at the me, album credits could have gotten that one for him. So that yeah, I don't credits. remember this review at all, because, like, uh, for me, this was not one of the albums that I listened to because of Pitchfork. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it would have predated <laughs> that for me as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think I heard this record. It was a little before I kind of got into Pitchfork. I kind of really started to like get more into like reading their website around like 2009. Um, okay, yeah. So Mary Weather Post Pavilion time. Yeah, definitely. It was like that was when I was like really starting to like figure out well, what's cool, what's cool. You know, let me see what yeah. Pitchfork's saying. You know, so I mean, I feel like that was the peak of their critical relevance as a yeah. website. But yeah, like this review spends the first paragraph talking about um, Grizzly Bear's cover of "Only Owner of a Lonely Heart" by Yes. Yeah, which uh, like, isn't on this album. That came out. <laughs> they came out after Horn of Plenty, right? Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. It's on the. Uh, sorry for the delay. It's like a mini album that came out. Yeah, it just has mostly demos, and it has that cover, which the covers it's pretty good. It's it's very much a like slow uh, Grizzly Bear song, but it's it's not bad. I mean, it's a good song, so no problems yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a very good Yes song. It's a very good Yes uh, song, despite being unlike any other Yes song. <laughs> yeah, that that whole uh, era that they had in the 80s where they moved from being a prog band to being a prog new wave band was really, uh, really interesting. But lest we, lest we continue our dad rantings. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll have to get Roy back on at some point to talk about Yes. Yeah, I mean, if they have um, a single pitchfork review, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll get a um, Sunday review eventually. Yeah, yeah one I guess of these so. days. <laughs> uh, I mean, Let, let's uh, pretty much anything else I could say, even from the review, would be something talking about each of the individual songs. So we might as well uh, get into it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like the easier thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting with easier. Which is the song that uh, is mistaken to be an Ed Dross joint in the uh, Pitchfork interview. To be but, fair, uh, he this is at one least was on written by song. Daniel Rawson. He is at least yeah, on he the is, song. 
Yeah, he's the backing vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this is a a really interesting way to open the album um, because it's kind of a, a kind of a light, uh, airy song as compared to the rest of the of the album. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like I don't know. I think it's just it's extremely beautiful uh, the way that the yeah. the record opens up. And something that I really like is how um, sort of they put Ed's uh, vocals at one point in like the right channel and uh, Daniel's in the left and just kind of like the how it's is, is mixed is maybe one of my favorite like parts about this whole song. It's just like texturally, I think it's extremely beautiful and there's a lot of like background factors that you can kind of pick apart. I, I, I like went back and listened to the song like several times just to like try to catch new things and. Yeah, I just I, yeah. I think it's a great song. There's like percussion in it that almost sounds like it's being recorded from like almost the other side of a house. <laughs> yeah. Um and and also there's some per- there's some percussion noises in there that don't even sound like percussion. They sound more like, you know, the the ambient noise of being in an old house. Yeah, like uh like just like the 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 walls settling kind of kind of sounds. Yeah, there's a lot of I, creaking I, in this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is just the way that the drums are tuned too cuz that's that I mean yeah. that's just very like mid-aughts indie music is having the incredibly yeah. high-tuned snares and also the uh the stick and rim noises. Yep. Everything sounds like Dodo's Visitor. <laughs> yeah yeah which i need to listen to again oh it's such a good album but like i mean that that album came out two years after this one but i feel like it's like the perfect representation of what the drum sound of the era was because that song is just yeah. all sticks it's that <laughs> and then like most of uh born ruffians red yellow and blue it's all sticks everything is sticks and high tune snares <laughs> and they're they're all yeah. over this album too and i think they work really well yeah um I, I one thing i thought that was really nice about this song is the way it kind of opens the the fact that it opens with Daniel Ross and vocals and then that like really incredibly like lush layered guitar mm-hmm. is like a really good way of saying like hey it's the new grizzly bear right away right yeah. at the top of the album they're just like <laughs> we're 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 bringing you into a different spot with this one yeah it's got like flutes going on um mm-hmm. like sweeping flute solos and glockenspiel towards the end this is a, another edition of oh there's a glockenspiel on this one <laughs> there's a glockenspiel on this one yeah yes and then those are all um I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to remember who plays all of those. A lot of it's Chris Taylor. Yeah, yeah. He's like the big multi instrumentalist. All of them have at least three instruments listed. So yeah, yeah. Glockenspiel was Chris Bear apparently. So it was oh. along with the percussion. Okay, interesting. Yeah, flute was Chris Taylor. Flute was Chris Taylor, who, and then there who was... also played uh, clarinet on this album, which has an interesting story behind it. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely we'll definitely get there along with the with the rest of the album. Yeah, but yeah, um, I, I like I, I kind of want to talk about the lyrics a little bit, but at the same time, it's like I've never really considered this a lyrical album in my head. It's always been like yeah. a, it's a vocals as texture album more than anything. If else. you if you look at the lyric booklet, it's very short. Um, like every every song is maybe at most t- like 10 or 12 lines long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really respect any lyrics booklet that like omits repeated lines. Yeah. So if anything repeats throughout the song. Do. Yeah, no, well, like, yeah, well, genius is like their, their form factor is like, if something is repeated, they're going to put it every time. That's, just, yeah. that's like kind of how, just how the site operates. 
just so they can like you know say something about the way the repetition happens or something like that or as they do on this one anytime a line is repeated it just links to the same annotation Mm -hmm. uh, which i think is a very lazy way to do it speaking of genius uh ed drost and daniel rawson are genius contributors for their own music yeah, they 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 show up on the for this album on on the site, so we'll we'll be reading some of their own annotations on on there for this one. Yeah, it's uh, I, that was like a big deal that I I, I think back uh, when they did that. Um, I feel like that was maybe around the time Vecatimus came out that well, they went we, back and uh and annotated all these. And when well when they would have done it, it would have still been called Rap Genius. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if there's uh, date stamps on these. Maybe, and because they would have wouldn't have only just been rap genius; it would have been rock.rapgenius.com because that's how they had all the non-rap stuff categorized. That's yeah, insane to me. <laughs> yeah, that's just been around forever. Writer Ed Dross six years ago. <laughs> okay, so this was more recent than I thought. Um, maybe they annotated another album before this one. Maybe. Um, but yeah. But yeah, well, we have those for for knife on a neck on a spit in Colorado. They're the ones yeah. with the little green check mark on them. Yeah. Um. Uh, the the lyrics uh, of easier are very like um like home based uh like homebody type lyrics. Um. Just kind of uh observational about being in a location. Yeah. Well, it's also just like you know using the the sentiment of a of a breaking down house to represent the relationship. Very, they might be giants. They'll need a crane on that one. Yeah. So, I know. I know the doors won't close. The pipes all froze. Just let it go. Yeah. I do love the annotation for the pipes all froze. That's saying, um, it's about when your dick don't work. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Great annotation. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the picture <laughs> associated with that. Is oh my also, God. So uh, good. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it it's a pipe covered in ice, but it definitely looks like something else. Yeah, I yeah, I I miss that's this come, one, baby. Yeah. That's come, baby. I'm just now seeing that particular part for the first time, and I just I can't get over that. That's the picture that they decided. To... <laughs> I mean, they know what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's evocative. It gets people going. <laughs> All right, next we have lullaby. This one sure doesn't have any lyrics on it, huh? <laughs> it's got very few lyrics. Um, but uh, Brandon, you and I were talking about this one earlier, uh, and especially about the second half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Like, so my first time listening to this record, you know, first hearing uh, easier than going into this, I was like kind of expecting like, okay, so this is just going to be more of like, a, you know, kind of a softer record. Uh, maybe just like slow songs and stuff but then uh-huh. <laughs> then it totally explodes in the second half and just like yeah these like guitars rip through and just like the drums like are all up in your ears and um it's just so it's so good um regarding the lyrical content ed actually like 
there's like a quote from him. Uh, yeah, it's here saying, on the Genius Annotation if you want me to read it. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like vague lyrics. Sometimes they are gay, but not overt. A lot of the lyrics on Yellow House uh, Dan Rossen wrote, and my love's another kind could be interpreted that way, and I think he's very open to that interpretation too, even though he was thinking of it as something else. That's why I relate to it when I sing those lyrics, because I'll sing those parts with him on the song. I think we're into the vague nature of it. Yeah, which I think like, yeah. really speaks to like just that song as a whole, because... Like he said, there's not a whole lot of like lyrical content and Mm -hmm. there's not really like much to parse. And and I do agree with you, Matt, that the lyrics as a whole are kind of like a second like nature thing to me. Like I I see it as just another texture on the record. Um, So the fact that they're like vague like that, I think works, especially like with this song. Um, I mean, especially the fact that Ed managed to find an entirely different thing in it for like a song that he didn't even write. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, which I yeah. which is I think is really cool too. And there's like towards the end when Ed is saying um my love's another kind, there's like these background vocals that are like almost like screaming like it's the it's going so high. It's one of my favorite parts of of that entire song. Oh yeah, the part where it's like ah! Yeah. It's it's um it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> the, this yeah, this album is a lot less uh, lyrics-based than, uh, like, Vicatomist, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, that that album is uh, where Daniel Rawson was like, you know what, I'm going to write some songs that have words. And he did. I'm going to write some <laughs> songs that Michael McDonald's going to want to sing. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that, that covers That is really a really, good. yeah, yeah. That that was uh, that, that was an interesting inclusion, and it was part of the... Uh, the dad rock artists uh, finding out about indie music wave that happened. Yeah, it was a fun time, and I wish we'd get more of it. Remember when <laughs> when Jay Z and Beyonce were really in the Grizzly Bear? Yeah, yeah. Just talking yeah, about. They, remember they, like, when? Remember when them. Childish Gambino rapped over Grizzly Bear? <laughs> 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 I'm rapping sure. over Grizzly Bear. What the fuck? <laughs> and that's the entire song. That is the entire song. But yeah, no, I really uh, like the uh, the way they harmonize during the chin up, cheer up, chin up, cheer up, which like I yeah. can't really do justice because I'm one one voice and two not being produced by Chris Taylor, yeah, uh, who can make any potential weaknesses in my upper ranges sound really cool because they'd be surrounded by floating guitars. Instead, I'm speaking it into a mic that I have encased in a milk crate, just in case yeah. no one has heard of my milk <laughs> my milk crate setup before. Hey, you do what you gotta do, you know? You do what you gotta do. Yeah. I mean, it makes it so that I can record my voice in the living room and my cats can make a bunch of noise and you can only kind of hear it. Yeah, I, I still do hear uh, the the guinea pigs uh, every once in a while. Oh, on well, City if Girls. they start weaking, not, no sound screening is gonna stop them. <laughs> you will hear it. Yeah. Um, the, the drums on this one uh, also get through all the sounds, much like the weaking of a, of a guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, yeah, this goes this like, goes into the other end of the yeah. uh, the aughts drum programming setup, uh, whereas opposed yeah. to being all sticks and high tuned snares, it's nothing but like it's nothing but toms, mm-hmm. toms and uh-huh. bass drums, and it's just like they're going for as much of like the tribal drum aesthetic that you could possibly go for. Yeah, very layered, very mixed forward. Um, uh, I it, there's a lot of points where they seem to kind of he seems to kind of crossfade it over the vocals a little bit when it wants when he wants to get it really going. Yeah, and there's a bit of delay on them too, mm-hmm. uh, which like m- makes uh, the snare hits like repeat really quick. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, he's not ga- he's not gating them. He's he's letting them echo. 
Yeah, it's, which, is, yeah. which is definitely a it's a definitely an interesting choice to make with uh with a snare tune that high because normally you want him to just punch, but instead he's like, yep. you know, I'm gonna let this texture a little bit. There, there's a lot of little textural noises kind of everywhere in this album. Yeah, and like I'm I'm excited to find out what some of them are. Like going yeah. through, it, it's just like you'll you'll hear some like beeps and boops in the back of a song. You're like, what even is that? Yeah, and this isn't the kind of album you'd expect to have a lot of synth noises on it. And when you first listen to it, you don't really uh, detect them, but they're definitely there. Yeah, yeah, back- yeah. The album has uh, has an auto harp on it and has electronics somewhere. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just listed under under chris taylor's like 18 instruments one of yeah. them just says electronics so they come up yeah. every once in a while yeah definitely returning to this record i definitely picked up a lot of stuff that i hadn't heard before um like there's one song a little later where like somebody's like singing in a, like a low bass tone uh of a voice and like i definitely don't remember that being a part of that song but we'll get to it <laughs> yeah uh, moving on, we have Knife next. Can't you feel the Which is the the big <laughs> single from this album? Just click the commentary on it, and just the first <laughs> line of the verified annotation by Ed Drost is, "This is me being the asshole." <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, I am the asshole now. And I mean, I guess that is—it's actually the uh, the annotation for the entire song because the entire song is only eight lines. Yep. Yeah, five lines without repeats. Five lines. Four without lines. Repe- four lines without repeats because you think it's all right. <laughs> Is yeah. just repeated four times as two lines. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we can we can just sum up. We can just go right ahead and sum up the entire lyrical content with Edras annotation. This is me being the asshole. I'm talking about lying straight to your face, looking in your eyes, lying, cheating, and then stabbing you in the back. People say it's such a romantic song. It's not really, but I welcome that interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that he's like, you know. I'm really being a huge asshole on this song, but I mean, if you want it to be romantic, sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's like it, it, literally, if you just if you just ignore all the production, <laughs> ignore all the singing, just read the lyrics. I want you to know when I look in your eyes, with every blow comes another lie. You think it's all right? <clears throat> Can't you feel the knife? <laughs> like that could just be that could be short form slam poetry right there. Yeah. If he took yeah. away all the adornishments, it's very very obvious. That said, it fucking whips. Oh, it's so good. And it, <laughs> Once it totally... I, when, I, when I finished my first listen, I just went and listened to Knife like four times before I went to go for my second listen to the album. <laughs> um, it's so good. <laughs> and it totally makes sense that it's the like lead single um, yeah. for the record. Like, I know, honestly, as much as I love like all the other songs, like I can't imagine any other song being the single besides this one. It just No, to me... I, I can't imagine the album working without it as like yeah. the centerpiece almost. Um, it's definitely the poppiest song in the album, like by a pretty wide margin. Because <laughs> like the like, other songs yeah. go a lot of different places, um, yeah. and this is like this is a direction that you you, you see explored a lot more in Vacatomist. Mm-hmm. I feel like the... this would slot in just as well with those songs as they would with these. Yeah, 
Uh, it almost reads as like a doo-wop song if you were to speed it up like a couple of beats per minute. I mean, that's that's exactly like, what the Born Ruffians know. cover sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The Born Ruffians cover could easily just be a doo-wop song. I want you to know. Which I, I really like uh, one thing that really uh, struck me listening to that cover after listening to the original again. Um, I end up listening to the cover a lot more just because I listen to Born Ruffians more often in my day to day. Despite like the, the the song is like it has a lot of complexity to it in the way that the uh, the melodies are arranged. And then the way like the second half of the song kind of just it just kind of takes the uh, the melodies and spreads them around a little bit and adds yeah. a couple of like low points and basically makes a song sweet in the second half there. Especially yeah. when like the when everything drops out and then it comes back with like the slow drums and all that. And like yet all that considered, there's just such a simple part of the melody, the simple part of where the lyrics go that it was easily deconstructible into like a simple one guitar, one drum set, one vocalist indie rock song. Like the the, the bones there are so strong that it works even without all the adornishments that uh, that Chris Taylor puts on them. And I thought that's 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 something that really shows like the the power underlying the songs on the album. Yeah. And this this is true for a couple of them. It's like they work really well with all the bells and whistles, but when it comes down to it, they're just good songs. Literal bells and whistles <laughs> in a lot of cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. The the outro uh is like a, a whole minute and a half of the song. Yeah. Uh, and it's like mostly just uh tom toms and bass drums and. A piano that is it, it sounds like it's about 50 feet away in a giant hall even though it was recorded in a tiny house yeah i mean you, you could have just had that on the other side of the door and gotten that effect i think yeah did you guys watch the music video i did yeah it's it had been a couple years since i had watched it um and i remember when i watched it the first time i was like Okay. <laughs> I like, haven't watched it um, recently, but I realize I remember it like looking kind of stop motiony. Yeah, uh, that you might be thinking of Ready Able um, from Vacatamest, but uh, yeah, the knife video. It, I, I suppose it has. It might have a little bit of, st- of a stop motiony quality to it, but it's kind of uh, a. It, it almost feels like a gothic, like um, like kind of uh, mining town uh, American. Okay, no, I'm, I'm thinking setting. of the right video. It looks like yeah. it could be used as like a bumper in like a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the exact kind of yeah. like aesthetic it has going for it. There is yeah. um, one part at the end um, where like that like rock dude. Uh, I don't even know how to describe <laughs> him. He's just like it's just like a, a creature, a person like that has rocks all yeah. over them. Uh, goes into like a hole inside of the mountain, and my immediate first thought was. Um, that story by Junji Ito, the Enigma, uh, Amigara Fault. Fault. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I was thinking like, he was thinking like this hole was made for me and <laughs> he's going to look real <laughs> fucked up coming out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. They, right, they, they kind of have a tradition, uh, or at least they did, uh, have a tradition of really odd music videos. Um, mm-hmm. I think this may have been the only one from this album, but, uh, 
there were videos for two weeks and also Ready Able from Vicatomist. And the two weeks video was directed by Patrick Daughters, who I think is also a horror director. Um, I just remember it had and, heads uh, exploding. It does have heads exploding. And like, it, it's their faces on like little mm-hmm. child bodies <laughs> in like schoolboy outfits. Mm-hmm. It is maybe one of the most unsettling things I've seen like in a, in a while. <laughs> yeah. It, and it really contrasted with kind of the upbeat nature of this of the song. Yeah, yeah. Sort of the lyrics of the song, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, after knife, we got uh, central and remote. <laughs> to give this one you have to give this one a cinema sings ding how can something be both central and remote doesn't really make any sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> for a while this one uh i i almost would have said this one was my favorite for like a year or so a couple years ago because i would listen to this one on repeat like in my car because it sounded so good um but i think it's I, I still think it's good but it's it's probably not quite as close to the top for me as it once was yeah, I would say that this is um, maybe the first time on the album for me where it, like, not that it, I still think it's a great song, but it's kind of one of the ones that are lower on the pack. And um, I, I do agree. It does sound great in the, in the car. I actually did a, a little bit of a car listen earlier this week. And nice. it was yeah. it was definitely one of the, the standouts, like, in regards to, like, a car stereo. Um, some of the stuff doesn't come through well on other songs when listening into the car, but I thought that this one really shined. And uh, oh, yeah, I, 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 imagine, really... I imagine Marla is just completely inaudible in the car. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it that that one doesn't work in the car, but, <laughs> but this one did. Yeah, um, I really what I like about this song is like there's a lot of like cool like vocal effects kind of on the on the back end um, mm-hmm. of the song. Uh, it's, it's like. I I almost don't want to sing it because like I can't sing, but uh, it, I I just I if you listen to it, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a part where in in the back where uh, I think it may have just be like during an instrumental break, but they're just kind of going over and over again. Yeah, and uh, and that's a cool bit. And also there's the bridge uh, that doesn't have any lyrics, but has like the the big kind of explosion of kind of choir voices mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that kind of turns into this huge thing and then fades out really quickly and goes back into the song. And they, they, they've recorded the whole thing in a freaking house. <laughs> Whenever something big like yeah. that happens, I always just remember, it's like, this was just a house. Were there guest vocalists on this album or was this just all them? I think it's just all them. I think it's a, uh, yeah, it was just them four who did the, the vocals. As Getting far up as, into the falsetto range. Yeah. That's cool, yeah, though. Yeah, I guess it was just it was all four of them singing at some point. Yeah, all, I know all that of them Chris have Taylor. Yeah, I know Chris Taylor can can get up to some pretty high notes. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen uh, some performances of theirs from different uh, late late night shows and stuff. Yeah. Anything about the lyrics on this one? Um, I mean, I don't really. Honestly, I don't have like I. This is one of the other songs too, where it's like it's it's just like 
a textural thing for me. Like the lyrics yeah. are yeah. Fine. That's definitely how I feel about the whole thing. Yeah. So, but yeah, almost almost the whole performance of the lyrics in this one is more kind of a whisper than uh than singing it outright. Yeah. Um just kind of in the wind in the yo. You know, it's it's really just kind of uh more of an instrument than a you know trying to get the words across yeah yeah um and the the genius annotations like i can take them or leave them it's like okay they're trying yeah it doesn't really do (laughs) doesn't really like do much for me as far as like the song goes every every single picture i've looked at recently of grizzly bear performing live ed drost is just standing in front of a table with an omni chord (laughs) and i think that just might be what he plays in a live setting Oh, it just seems like a, an efficient way to deal with the fact that they can't bring everything on stage. Yeah. Something that just yeah. has a good texture that's going to sound good in a live setting. Yeah, if they brought everything on stage, that would be a little bit much. I, I, don't, I, don't think, uh, I don't think anyone has enough lungs for that. I don't think Chris Taylor has enough lungs to play all the wind <laughs> instruments that would be required of him. Yeah. Yeah, they'd have to hire like seven or eight more people it to would be tour with them. Definitely like a full on like just stage show, like something that you would see. Like in a musical, yeah, or something. something, something like what Dan Deacon did for touring with Brahms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get several drummers on the stage for that one to make to make up for the. Do you need all those extra sounds? You can you can only mic uh, the drum set of Chris Bear up enough times. <laughs> Speaking of Chris Bear, I always uh, I, I I I've only seen Grizzly Bear live once. It was. Uh, on the Vic, on the Vicadimus tour when Beach House was opening for them, nice. Um, and their their stage layout is really interesting to me because they have the the drums over on uh, over on stage left um, rather than in the back. Huh. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. That they is kind of all they kind of all are in a line almost. Um, like Taylor on the on the stage right, and then Ed, and then Daniel, and then. Chris Bear on the drums on the other side. That kind of reminds me of how the, the the drums are set up on they might be giant shows because they always have Marty Beller stage right. Yeah, and then he, and then everyone's and just kind of uh, next to him. Yeah, <laughs> and they put him up on a pedestal, of course. Yeah, because both gotta... literally and figuratively, because <laughs> Flansburg will always hype up Marty Beller every single show. Every single show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I really like that kind of arrangement because like. I mean, I'm always just going to be partial to anything that's more drummer forward than putting the drummer at the very back of the stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, of course, obviously, I like to see battles where they got John Stanier front and center <laughs> with his giant yeah. tall symbol that he has to stand up to hit. <laughs> if if anyone had to uh, had to stay in the band as half of the band, I'm glad he's one of them. Yeah, one of the two. I don't think it works yeah, without him. It's just him and Ian Williams now. Yeah. Um. Oh, according to Wikipedia, there was a video for Central and Remote as well. Huh. So I they, they go had look two that videos up, overall. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, I've I don't never think seen I have that either. one. No. Also, I would think that's a kind of a weird choice. Yeah. It is. Would, yeah. Wouldn't be my next pick for like a single if that's I what would they say would. probably easier would be like number one pick for another for another one. Marla would be a cool yeah. one to do just because of like the family connection there. And yeah. um uh, oh, uh, not Colorado would only work if it was mostly nature footage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now in a marla video though i'm now i'm just like thinking about like how that would be <laughs> that'd be cool yeah yeah i think it'd have to be puppets <laughs> and it would have to be like sepia toned or black and white oh definitely yeah i mean if it's if it's a waltz it just has to be a sepia toned music video that's just the rules 
<laughs> but we're not there yeah, yet. Yeah, those are the rules. No, no. Uh, First, we got Little Brother. This is the original arrangement of this song, which I don't think they play anymore, because um, there's a reworked, uh, more like rock electric version of it on Friend that they that they now play instead. Which was the uh, that was the first version I heard, and so coming from that into this was a little uh, a little jarring at first, but now I, I kind of appreciate this one a little more. Although I actually did listen to the electric version today and um, there's some really like neat stuff, like kind of reworking of lyrics and stuff. And I think that they do like, that's really interesting, but I don't know. There's a lot of really just uh, like pretty like textural stuff that, that goes on on this uh, song. And I, I think that Daniel like just like kills it, like singing, like everything he does. It's, it's so oh, good. Yeah. I this yeah. this song is the is the most like out of all the the Rossin songs on this album is the most like just a Department of Beagles song, <laughs> which like don't knock on it at all because like In Your Park was yeah. a great album and all yeah um but yeah no the rock version is like the Grizzly Bear version and this is the Department of Eagles one <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of where it lands for me he he has a really different vocal tone like overall on this album than he uh, than he does from kind of Friend onwards. Mm-hmm. He gets he, more he gets more breathy with it later on. Yeah. yeah. Um he's, whereas he's here really he's kind, kind of like of, a low uh, warble. He's not pushing it forward a lot. He's a little uh, bit monotone here, yeah. Yeah. Which I, I, I really like his vocals on Vicadimus, like especially like on Value Eight for the others. Like he really uh you you really hear the like um the vibrato on those yeah. ones. Yeah. Like he, he's really, really going for it. Whereas here he's like uh I don't know a bit less a bit less trained with it, possibly just like going a little quieter with it because of the the setting that they were in. They said they were able to record it like whatever volumes, whatever time of day because of the the way the house was set up. But nonetheless, it's like he he seemed to not be pushing himself quite as hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of just kind of pride of my countrymen, and then on Vicadimus it's while you wait for the other, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He he gets way he gets way into it. Yeah. Um, it's like Future Islands before the... singles to Future Islands on singles. <laughs> right. Yeah. You you can hear the chest thumping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to talk about that one too at some point. Oh yeah. Cause that that's probably the most listened album I had between twenty ten and twenty twenty was singles by Future Islands. Mm-hmm. Just in that in that like sunsetting era of pitchfork relevance, like two thousand eleven, yeah. two thousand twelve. Yeah, for sure. So we got to do that in kaput. Those are the those are the ones we got to get on record. We're saying it here right now <laughs> on the podcast. We will get to both yep. of those. If you want to talk about them, let us know. <laughs> Kaput's a good one. Kaput's a good the, one. The outro. Kaput the, turned the outro ten today. This... Yeah, <laughs> they were recording oh, yeah, this. <laughs> which yeah. is happy birthday, up. Kaput. <laughs> Maybe maybe we can get Finn on to talk about a Destroyer album because oh, yeah. Finn's the big Destroyer fan. You know, I feel like um, Dan Behar and Daniel Rawson have a very like not 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 like similar voices, but just like similar vocal timbres. 
in that they both like go with like a kind of breeziness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's why both of their vocals fucking slap. Lo- love to dance on this one. Yep. The band of Dan's. <laughs> the Dan bands. Uh, the this is another one, uh, kind of like easier, where the drums are really like tightly, tightly uh, tuned. Yeah. Um, they're they're really kind of back back in the mix. Uh, like they're just there to provide rhythm and texture, and not really any sort of specific big sound. Mm-hmm. I really like when they. Um when he sings the like my little brother will be born again and the and the uh like sticks come in you know and it's just like it's like sticks and they're like click click i, I don't yeah. know I, yeah. and the guitar like going like it's very like it's got a good rhythm for yeah it. yeah i i didn't even connect to that that was just a really really overblown stick hit <laughs> They're all over this album. They're all over this era of music. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be yeah. remiss not to point out every overblown stick head on any of these albums. Exactly. <laughs> I only recently figured out that one of the, the big things uh, in like old Prince in, in old Prince songs um, is the stick hit sound sample from the Lindrum drum machine, but tuned down like two octaves. Oh <laughs> my god. Yeah, it's the sound that you always hear in a Prince song oh, that yeah. sounds like somebody's knocking on a door. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he just figured it out, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. That, he made it his thing. Yeah, I heard it a lot because my mom was really into Prince growing up, so I'm yeah. definitely familiar definitely with that. Being from the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Move on Next to we've plans? got uh, we got plans, yeah. didn't cover we, we didn't talk about the covers of uh of knife yet but we can talk about those maybe after we finish the album along with the uh very special cover of this song that we're all familiar with mm-hmm. it was my first uh introduction to this this song uh was hearing the the band of horses version yeah um and it was another one of those like kind of jarring moments like because like <laughs> the, the band of horses one is like kind of like I wouldn't say it's cheery, but it's a little more upbeat and a little faster. And then you go back to the actual one on the album and it's like kind of, it's like a slow, like, like waltz. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more minor key and um, just like, uh, it kind of threw me for a loop, but I, I really like plans. It's it's a um, one of the highlights for me on this album. How many waltzes are on this album? It's at least two, right? The, this one is... It, it's it feels like a waltz, but I don't think it's in the timing of a waltz. Um, let's Marla see. definitely is a waltz. Oh, I know that. definitely. Yeah, <laughs> that one's got like the the drum beats on thirds and everything. Yeah, I don't know. It comes up a couple L- of times. L- L- I, lullaby, I appreciate... lullaby is the other waltz. Okay, now that yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. At least the first part. So my my yeah. problem is I always have trouble like summoning the music in my head while talking about it. Uh, there have been recordings of Tuning Fork where I have like pulled one of the cans off my left ear and then like plugged my headphones, other headphones from my phone, <laughs> and then just like listen to the album off my phone. Yeah, 
just so I didn't like interrupt with the recording in any way on my computer. Yeah. And just been like, oh yeah, that part. I want to talk about that part. Like there was a, I guess I was saying uh, when we were opening up, there's like melodies on this album that have been like kind of sticking in my head a little bit. And now that I'm trying to actually recall them to air, um, I can't tell you what those are, but I can tell you what songs they're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was on Little Brother. There's another one on Marla, and then the rest is in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, um, they stick all over the place. Plans is a song that uh, doesn't have a, another one that doesn't have a whole lot of lyrics. Um, this, I think, according to the interview, is the first one they recorded. Mm-hmm. They they kind of had this sketch of a song and just kept adding stuff onto it until it became this this huge sweeping thing. Yeah. It also really showcases, and it's all throughout the album, but it really showcases the uh, uh, Chris playing the clarinet like through that pitch shifter. Um, oh it, yeah, it's, that is on this. Yeah, one, huh? it really shows up on this song. It's on other songs too, but like this one, you can really, really tell. Um, I this... really do love that. They're like, we have we have no one that really does the bass, so <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna play a clarinet through a pitch shifter. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, they they asked in the Pitchfork review, it's like, was that like an artistic decision? It's like, well, we didn't have anyone that could play the bla- bass, but Chris could do the clarinet, so <laughs> we made it work. And then, of course, it's like one of the most like singular things about the recording of this album that mm-hmm. like really, really stands out, other mm-hmm. than like Chris's production in general, is the fact that they used a clarinet to do their bass parts. Yeah, this it gives is... it kind of like a wistful tone. Mm, yeah, because clarinets just it, sound it, like that. Yeah, it's like the. It's a it's very like an instrument that you learn in high school and then you either stick with it later or you just completely forget that you own a clarinet. <laughs> uh, now it just makes me think of work from over the garden wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh this is also the one where the I I noticed doing my re-listen was where the deep voice came in and I I'm still trying to figure out like who it is. Um because none of the uh guys in the band really come off as somebody who maybe has that register but um oh yeah like when when it starts into uh when it starts into all i have to give yeah it's like all i have to give (laughs) seems to be all over you yeah yeah (laughs) there's not any any register like that anywhere else on the album yeah it only shows up here uh and i and i love it i think it, it adds like um some more depth to to this song um also the like in the back half of the song uh they're like is some like chopping up of like some some like vocals and some like weird electronic stuff going on that i really dig yeah it's it's that very um it's that very kind of uh animal collective-esque production yeah uh where they just kept layering sounds on top of each other and making loops yeah, it was an interesting time for uh, for just like the the evolution of the home studio. You really had the yeah. opportunity to make a lot of cool stuff like that because mm-hmm. this is just it's very much a studio album. They they talk in the interview about how different the live arrangements of all these songs sound because like most of it would just be impossible to replicate in a live setting. Yeah, which yeah. like I I respect both like avenues of this like people who will one commit only to tape what they th- what they would be producing live. You know, the kind of people that get will get Steve Albini to do their record because it's like Steve Albini is just there to put the mics in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. And then play Scrabble on his phone. Um, whereas, <laughs> like, this situation's a little different. It's like they're making something for the album experience, and then they got to figure out how to play some, like, s- simulacrum of it live. They got to figure out some version of it that works live. 
Yeah. And then, of course, I, you, have the third, you have the third to... option, which is battles, which is like, we're going to improvise, <laughs> we're going to put it to record, and then we're going to figure out how the fuck we're going to play it live. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I've been listening to a lot of Tortoise lately, and that's that's another band where um, like they talk about how the studio is like the sixth member of the band because they they always do the album first um, and then figure out how to play it after the fact. Yeah. So they're category three. <laughs> yeah. I know that's something that Lightning Bolt would do a lot. Um, not so much on like their latest record, but all their earlier stuff is totally improvised. And then they would just be like, okay, um, we'll play it how we're going to play it live and just I mean, it's like <laughs> how the hell are we going to do this with only two people? Our vocalist quit, so I had to put a I had to put a microphone inside my mask. <laughs> yeah, a telephone microphone inside the thing I made of old shirts, which makes me look like a serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> I do love how many other bands we've managed to talk about on this one. A very yeah, a very typical episode of Tuning Fork today. <laughs> yep, it's one of those. Yeah, so then uh, we move into Marla. really interesting story on this one so this one's right from the from on the genius page uh marla is named after ed Dross's great aunt who moved from boston to new york in the late 1930s in an attempt to pursue a singing career she failed and by the end of the 1940s she had drunk herself to death that's very sad very, very unnamed sad Named demos were later shared with ed by the a remaining sibling of marla's who had decided to digitize all her songs to disc so <laughs> he had yeah, uh, a version of one if... of these songs and then he kind of just built on it I wonder if the uh, original is ha- ever got shared anywhere. I thought I saw something. I don't know if it was genius, but I I could have sworn I saw like the original version somewhere, either on YouTube or it's out yeah, there. Yeah, it, it, it's it's on the uh, on the genius page for the song. There's a there's a recording of it. Okay. Oh, cool! So if you want, if you wanted to play a bit of it for comparison, that'd be a good spot to do it. It is. So this one's a waltz. This one's the waltziest waltz that ever waltzed. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. right there in the drum beats, the low tap tap, low tap tap, low. Mm-hmm. You know, like just the easy stuff. Um, this is the one that does not work in the car because everything is sung in like haunting low tones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah, another it, one that would work in a really Victorian setting, which I mean suits like the basic form of it being lifted directly from the 1930s. <laughs> yeah, it feels like. Uh... Without all of the, without all the effects put on top of it, it just seems kind of like a very kind of stately, you know, old Victorian song. Yeah. Uh, but with with all the stuff on top of it that they added in post production, it's like almost kind of a haunted song. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. 
it it definitely <laughs> the, gives the way off. it builds is nuts like it really gets me and this is like one of the spots where like the uh the melody of it when it's building and like they they have like the the drum beat and then like the basic piano playing along with the waltz it's like dun 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 and like they're like building strings into there and of course the strings are by owen pallet as is typical owen pallet gets his little hands and everything and yeah no the build of the song i i feel like the, like the way it was already built off of like you know a dead family member's failed singing career man that the song already had at least two ghosts in it yeah uh, so <laughs> like really building into that haunted energy really really does something for it and it's yeah. it's it's such a good headphone listen to this is one that just like kind of it really like just breathes when it's being like blasted directly into your skull oh definitely <laughs> um no this song uh i put in my notes uh this song fucks in like yeah. a in a in a in a in a spooky way, um, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's kind of a sad, depressing story, and the way that it fits the overall tone of uh, of that song just really works. It works for me. Um, yeah, no, it's it's not another highlight on the on the record for me. Uh, the piano rips, strings are great. Overall vibe, they, abs- atmosphere is just <laughs> it's so good. The piano and the strings kind of do this thing where occasionally they're a little bit behind the beat of the song yeah so it sounds like they're kind of you know lumbering or like shambling along um and doing kind of the the slow drop off every once in a while where it's like a couple of notes down the scale like (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like like i said it's all very very haunting and kind of kind of pretty to listen to i really like um well, for one, the the Miss Forbes, as mentioned, is the is Marla Forbes, the one who wrote the original song that it's built off of. Um, but when it, in the annotations it says, like, I've looked everywhere in Miss Forbes, but I can't find the blank and oh why oh why, and the question mark is right there in the official Grizzly Bear Yellow House uh, lyrics booklet <laughs> uh, because they totally forgot what they sang. It's probably Dagger because that's what it yeah. most sounds like. Yeah. But they literally just could not remember what the words they put to tape were, which is very maybe, maybe much like the uh, uh, the Strawberry Jam booklet, just straight up having the wrong lyrics printed in it. Oh like, yeah, by like no method of the imagination are those the lyrics that are being sung. I yeah. I remember picking up that CD uh, from Best Buy and then like already having heard the record and then looking at the lyrics and just being like, "What? That's definitely not what they say." That, that is absolutely no. not it. <laughs> This is maybe from four takes before the one they recorded on the album. Yeah, I, I've never. I know nobody ever listens to this, uh, but when I was growing up, uh, I had a CD, or my parents rather had a CD of the uh, Giorgio Moroder soundtrack to uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Um, he he made like a disco slash new wave soundtrack to it uh, in nineteen eighty four. I should probably listen to this. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it had Freddie Mercury and uh, and John Anderson from Yes and Pat Benatar and a couple of other people. Um, but yeah, there was a song in the in there. I, I think it was actually the the Freddie Mercury song. Um, and yeah, there there was just absolutely the wrong lyrics for it in the <laughs> lyric book. Um, and, and and Freddie Mercury does a lot of improvisation. So as a kid, I was like, "But what's he saying, though? I don't I don't know. I need to know." God so, bless yeah, people who can just... actually like who can actually like perceive lyrics without having them written in front of them. Um, yeah. I don't know the lyrics to some of the songs I've listened to hundreds of times in my life. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Even ones where I've read the lyrics booklet. Sometimes it's just a complete mystery to me. I'm like, they sure are making sounds, but I like <laughs> straight up might as well be listening to songs in a different language. Which I, <laughs> I do do that as well. But, you know, you think I'd understand at least some of the songs in my native language? Not a chance. I really nope. like the way the lyrics in this song are written. They're really they're written like just like a kind of old timey rhyming poem style. Yeah, which really yeah. kind of which works with the way the narration's done in a, like almost like a spooky way. I feel like this is something that could be like you could have this read by like a Boris Karloff type, and it yeah. would just sound really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I really want to hear someone with a really deep voice cover this one. It also sounds like it would work in like an old uh, like early Merry Melodies cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like you'd, I've you'd looked see. in the attic, the yeah. cellar and hall. I've looked in the studio, studying all. I've looked yeah. in the chest where I thought it should be. I've looked in the greenhouses, one, two, and three. Like straight up, like the mere the meter of it is just rigid. Yeah. And like when yeah. you listen to the song itself, it's right onto the the waltz of it too. Yep. Which I it, guess it like some like, of these lyrics uh, were written by I I I think some of the lyrics were her lyrics, I believe. I don't think they've really said how much of the uh, the skeleton of the original song is there. It, it sounds like it's being sung by somebody's butler who is a cartoon owl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I, I just never, I never really grokked how much of it was like her lyrics and her composition and how much of it they'd built on top of. Just that yeah. it was built on one of his relatives' compositions. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how many, of the, how many of the lyrics are actually there. Uh, they're doing. Because it's not—it's uh, uh, not super clear in the writing credits. Yeah, you, you were—you were reacting earlier to the fact that the interview said the original was uh, under two minutes long, and they stretched it out to over five minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is <laughs> instrumental. Like the second half of the song is just taking that waltz beat as we were going over a bit earlier and just blowing it up. Yeah, and also haunting it, just like fucking some ghosts right into it, <laughs> just getting them right in there. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Taylor invented a couple ghosts and just smashed them in there. And just smashed them in there. It's like fracking, but instead of like blasting water into the ground, you're putting ghosts into a song. <laughs> so it's like fracking, but good. Yeah. I think that's the way I'm going to put it. You know, like You yeah. just put that as the tagline for this album. Uh, it's like fracking, but good. But good. It's kind of similar to fracking. <laughs> Except it's good. Uh, next we've got... On a neck, on a spit, which uh, we were talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, this is my favorite song on the album. Um, yeah, like I said, like it was that song that I was obsessed with because I didn't know what it was for like two years. Um, but do you remember which? Do you remember whether it was uh, the first part or the second part that was used was, as the bumper? It was right when the wind like sound kind of comes in, and it's like the beginning of the second part, and it's just it's mostly just guitar. Um, okay. and it's like just a couple bars of that. It's not even that long. Uh, but it was that part and it was just like, it lived in my head rent free for like two years. Um, <laughs> until I heard it, but yeah, no, I love this song. Uh, this is another instance where Daniel just kills it. Um, I think, uh, the banjo in the beginning part 
is fantastic. Um, oh, the all, banjo rules. All the guitar work on this is just incredible. Uh, I, I put I put drums rock <laughs> in my notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, this whole song fucks uh, real hard. Um, real great instrumental inter- interlude. According yeah. to Daniel Rawson, uh, this one is another one of the ones that has a verified annotation. Uh, the first half of the song, like the first portion of it, uh, was Chris Taylor. Uh, was written by Chris Taylor. And then it's the second hmm. part of the song that's uh, that's all Daniel Rawson. Although the first part does have Daniel Rawson's banjo all over it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I have it. I have what he said in regards to both parts. Um, he said, uh, you can't come home again. Each time it's different. This song is essentially two songs combined. The first half was written with Chris Taylor. At the time, there was a lot of major life changes going on at home. And we were also going through the experience of leaving for long tours. Uh, each time I came home, the scene had changed and deteriorated in some way. It's like the classic experience of going away and losing touch with the life you knew in your childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then regarding like the second, uh, like the each day bit that he was talking about, uh, he said the second half of the song was written one day while the band was rehearsing up in a ro- remote part of Cape Cod. It was a beautiful place and remote enough that I could leave the house and walk for hours without seeing anyone. The melody and words of the song came about while I was sitting out on a rock playing the, the guitar. At that moment, out here no one can hear me was a, was a true statement. The lyrics in the second half of that song were like a mantra and a way of taking something a little frightening and finding some power in it. In large part, I'd say that was a song about coming to terms with myself as a loner and celebrating that. And I definitely feel like that that comes through um in in the song a little bit yeah um, i think it also just comes through in the fact that the song has two extended instrumental interludes yeah <laughs> i mean if you're writing yeah. a song about being a guitar loner uh that's one way you can do it just yeah. uh just just fuck around and noodle on some guitars for a little bit yeah um and this is another instance where uh in the second half the drums are really at at the kind of at the forefront and just kinda off the shits yeah it's uh it's it's my favorite drumming part of the entire album like i said i i could just go on about the song but it it's it's so good i just love it the the second instrumental interlude uh it, it almost sounds like um the 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 drum beat is reminiscent of like the sound of a of a train going through the countryside mm-hmm. you yeah. know the kind of chugga 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 um, and it kind of has that really big open sound to it, which I really like. And yeah, lot- for being recorded in a house, they really do make a lot of the recording seem very open. Yeah. Like as if they yeah. could have been recorded in a much, much larger space than they were in. Um, I assume it's mostly due to very, very liberal use of reverb, um, but it's done in a way that it doesn't just sound cheap, which yeah. it often can. Also, there's really good organ work on this. On this, uh, I don't know if it's organ, but it's some kind of keys uh, that just work really well really well uh especially towards the uh back half of the the second part where they're they're really like kind of more forward in the mix um really just looking good. through the the band personnel list on wikipedia i imagine that's probably an auto harp uh which which is uh drost and ross and both play okay because otherwise it's just like there's there's simple keyboards but i don't know if that's it <laughs> yeah i mean it definitely could could be that but it's it just works really well and yeah, very, very simple, evocative lyrics. Each day, spend it with me now. Each day, I spend it with me now. 
and they just kind of repeat that. He repeats that throughout the rest of the song, more yeah. or less, yeah. along with the out yeah. here, nobody can hear me, no one can hear me, nobody can hear me. Again, lyrics yeah. is texture. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> I think the string part in this is actually um, something similar to what was used on uh, the song Trans Europe Express by Kraftwerk, um, where it was sort of like a, a Mellotron type situation. Um, cause it has that kind of scratchy quality to it, mm-hmm. but you know, there's lots of reverb on it as well. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, the only live strings on the album were the ones from Marla. So it's the only yeah. place that Owen Pallet's credited on the whole album. So, which is so crazy to me because there's like so many moments on the album where it just sounds like there are strings and, and, and they're not, it's something else, but it's just like the way that it's mixed. It's like, sometimes you can't tell what it is exactly unless you like go and look up what the credits like you have to go look at the credits to see what was on each song i assume it's a lot of pitch shifting kind of stuff i yeah. I, I, I just generally assume that I, that a lot of the stuff on the album after learning about the clarinet um pitch shifting into a bass i'm like okay well some of these weird stringy sounds are probably just the like the higher end of the keyboard stretched out mm-hmm. into longer notes <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're really doing some fun stuff with this one yeah, I don't. I sure. don't even know if it would sound better if it was all live strings. Like it's, it's so integral <laughs> to the texture of the way the album sounds. Yeah, I it's can't. It's like almost like if this were more hi-fi, it wouldn't sound quite as good. Yeah, I honestly can't imagine this this album sounding any other way. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to change this song, especially. But I wouldn't want to change any song on this record. Yeah, it was like if if they got like fucking. If if they just got in a fight with Joanna Newsom and stole Van Dyke Parks from her before Van Dyke Parks recorded his instrumental orchestra parts for East, um, like yeah. what what would it be like if like there was that much like flowery instrumentation on this one? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it would work the same way. I wonder like where Ed Drostino and Pallet got together um, to like uh, where where Ed was like, hey, you want to be on this album? Because like he had been working on uh, other people's albums for a while like he had been on funeral by arcade fire a couple years before this yeah uh, in 2004 um and then again after this album in 2007 on neon bible because i don't think he'd done that many uh things at this point like in like 2006 yeah it's like ah uh, no yeah there's there's quite a few things it's a lot of remixes but like yeah he was on a remix of uh of don't ask for horn of plenty so he did one of those re- remixes there. Like I imagine it was just remotely recorded and sent over. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, like if I'm looking, I'm looking at Owen Powell's just credit list right now, and it's like Jim Guthrie, Hidden Cameras, like a lot of like lesser Canadian indie projects. Um, <laughs> they probably Death just from above, like, and then they like, probably just knew a couple of the same people, and you know, they reached out. They were like, "Hey, who who do you know that does strings?" Yeah. So, like, 2006, the two things he did were Yellow House and Fucked Up's Hidden World. <laughs> yeah. Quite quite a combination. Yeah. And then, of course, 2007 is 12 things listed. We yeah. got Arcade Fire, we got Great Lake Swimmers, we got Beirut, we got Montag, we got Picasso, we got Holy Fuck, we got Stars. Busy time for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. He's on a Holy Fuck record. I didn't even realize that. I'm going to have to go back oh, yeah. and listen to that. He does the, uh, he does the strings on, uh, on Lovely Allen. Oh yeah, because that's the one song yeah. that's not just electronics so, yeah. and drums. So if you hear the strings on it, you're like, oh yeah, those are some Owen Pallet strings <laughs> going on right there. I'll have to go back and listen to that. God, 
Holy Fuck is a band I'd love to talk about, but they never got like particularly good Pitchfork reviews. And also, no. um, the idea of talking about an almost entirely instrumental album is like the main reason we haven't done battles yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we, we basically like, we're going to do Mirrored at some point because it's like one of the most crucial yeah. albums of the era for us. Um, but like, how the fuck do you talk about that album for a reasonable amount of time? <laughs> we have to get someone who knows what they're talking about on. We've only this really ever had like that once. <laughs> this is like a trial run for an album that doesn't have lyrics. It <laughs> yeah, basically it's an album doesn't. where the lyrics don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we can use this one as practice. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to Reprise. From the first morning This is what it says. It's a repeat. It's a reprise of uh, the the ending line from uh, Lullaby. Yep. My love's another kind. Yeah. And then turns into kind of its own thing after that. I... Again, only only like two packs of lyrics on this one. Yep. I do love that the uh, the genius annotation for the My Love's Another Kind line have that one picture of Ed Drost and Owen Pallett laying in a bed together, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is from them doing a, a joint interview with uh, the back lot. Which I always, I always really love that interview. Yeah, I, I think they're just buds. <laughs> this is probably this like the sparsest sounding song on the album. Um, it's uh, and it's only just over three minutes long, um, but it seems to be mostly just guitar, reverb, and voice. Yeah, really simple one. Yeah. Before we yeah. get into like the like you know big climactic closer. Yeah, it's definitely yep. like the the calm before the the storm. Ah. Uh, I love it. Um, I really like there's a part where uh, Daniel says, he says a line, my love's another kind. And then Ed comes in like right after and then says it. I don't know. Just something about that particular part just really, yeah. really does it for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just like, this is just a, a nice, like kind of quiet, like calm tune. Um, there's a little, I think there's a little bit of banjo in there. Um, or at least it sounds, it certainly sounds like there's a little bit. Um, looking at the credits here. No, it just says drums. probably just a differently tuned guitar. Yeah, uh, yeah, it just says guitar. Uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel and Ed on guitar. So that, that I mean, that makes sense. But yeah, it's, it's just like a nice, <laughs> nice little pretty song. It's not. It's another one that's kind of lower on the on the pack for me. But I, I, I still love it. I feel like when yeah. when there's when there's songs that are on the lower end of the pack of an album, but yet they still serve a function on the album. I think that's just like a really good sign of a well-produced album. Absolutely. Because like, I feel like this is incredibly necessary to have something like relatively airy and short before Colorado comes in. I absolutely. It's one of those songs that is just an album song. Yeah. Like, yeah. On, on exactly. Like this isn't going to be topping any playlists. Yeah. No, like today, you know, (laughs) you, you, you with, with streaming, you know, you make playlists all the time Mm -hmm. and, you you kind of forget about little songs like this, which uh, are more of like a context piece or a mood piece for the album. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, anything that's a reprise of something earlier in the album, like by necessity, has to exist in some space that the other part of it also exists. Yeah, yeah. It's and- like the like the um, like the interludes on Owen Pallet's Hipoo's Clouds, 
the ones that are just the yeah. arrows. Like those can only really exist in the context of the album, mm-hmm. but they're crucial to the structure of the album. Also, I just can't and imagine. I think those are always really important. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I I can't honestly imagine like on a neck going straight into Colorado. I so I, I'm really <laughs> glad that that reprise is there to kind of like ease you in a little bit because yeah well, i mean like any band that's ending their album with two five plus minute songs um not to say that i don't like long songs i often do but i mostly like long songs in a form where long songs are more acceptable yeah you know like a like a disco electronic kind of kind of setup um when you're doing like relatively low-key orchestral style indie rock like you gotta give me a breather like it's it's gonna kill me if you don't and uh i mean at at 50 minutes this album is already kind of it's it's pushing its luck lengthwise it's not quite there but it's 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 past a a single lp already so oh yeah (laughs) yeah so i guess we can uh, we can now move in to the final track on the album colorado colorado This what one, now? This one has the longest annotation by a Drost on it because it's like a really personal song for him. Mm-hmm. Which I had no clue, like at all, like that this song was about like what he said in regards to the official annotation. Um, when I when I read that the other day, I was like, "Damn!" Yeah, he he uh, he had uh, a relationship that was kind of kind of broken with his dad becoming an alcoholic mm-hmm. and. Uh, didn't really have anybody to uh, to be friends with because he was in a new state and um, there was just what like he says seven people in his class yeah very small yeah. class um, and they were all rich kids <laughs> yeah I like the the bit he said uh, towards the end of it he says I remember that spring break came along and a friend I had uh, made said come to Palm Springs with me and I was like I don't understand he was like in my parents jet and then he actually uh, said, actually, our jet is broken and we are borrowing our neighbors. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? I mean, even as a 12 year old, I knew it was crazy. I mean, I still went. I had never been to California. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, the lyrics of the song are literally just when I clung to you, there was nothing to hold on tight with. Mm-hmm. You left me adrift. Colorado. What now? And then like the majority of the song is just the what now? Yeah. Yeah. Or the the Colorado chorus, just Colorado, yeah. Colorado, Colorado, and then yeah, the the what nows are one of my favorite part of the album. It just they're so the way the way that it the way that the uh, the instrumental builds underneath it, the way that the 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 lyrics are kind of like bouncing around the different channels. They got they got like really good layering of them too, makes it really sound really full. Yeah, and then yeah, what now? What now? what now what now and yeah no, love it yeah this was yeah whenever i have to sing it into the microphone <laughs> i'm just like okay you know i like that part if i actually remember how the notes go <laughs> it was definitely... I'm not a great singer but i can at least get it <laughs> um it was definitely one of the uh 
songs I got super attached to when I first heard this album, and it was a song I would go back to a lot. Um, this is another like top track, and I like much like foreground. I think this is just like an incredible closer. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's God, foreground's like I need to listen to the Catamist after this. <laughs> I might just go spin yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. It's like um. With, with this song, it's like, I haven't listened to Yellow House, like, as an album in full. Mm-hmm. Like, it's gotta be, like, five years at least. Like, that's minimum. I, sure. could, I could literally open my iTunes and tell you how long it's been, because I usually only listen to music in iTunes. Um, other than, like, me putting this album on my phone today so I can listen to it on a walk. Yeah. Um, but, like, the chorus and, like, break, later breakdown of Colorado, constantly in my head. Mm-hmm. If I just see the word Colorado, it'll play. It'll just start going in there. It'll start bouncing around up there. Yeah. Um, I actually took a, a trip to Colorado. And when I did, that was like one of the, like the mainstays in my head because, uh, and at that point it was like 2016 and, and it had been like years since I've heard yellow house. And yeah. I, I don't think I've even listened to it since like when shields came out. I think I like listened to it then, but I hadn't listened to it yeah. since then. Um, but yeah, Matt, I agree. It's, it's, it's a melody. It's a song that just like, it lives in my head rent free. Um. And it's like, it's one of the only melodies that are on this album that actually like, you know, stuck to my head with lyrics attached to it. Yeah. Cause there's a couple of melodies on this album. Like I was saying before that just like kind of lodged themselves in there. And like, they always seem like vaguely familiar. And when I listen to this, the, listen to the album, I'm just like, is this from somewhere? Cause it's like, <laughs> I haven't listened to yellow house in so long. Like, could it be that it has just been stuck into my head since the last time I listened to Yellow House? Yeah. And I think that's what it ended up actually being. Because <laughs> I couldn't figure out anywhere else where any of this stuff was from. Um, to to but me, yeah. this is like, to me, this is like the album of Grizzly Bears that needs to be an album more so than the rest of their albums. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you have to listen to this one kind of front to back to yeah. me. Um, I mean, I could listen to Knife than... by itself, but that's because <laughs> yeah, it's a pop that's... song. <laughs> That's the only one, whereas, like, in Vicatomist, there's probably six or seven songs where you can just listen to them on their own, and it'd yeah. be fine. Yeah, it really does work as a whole, and you could, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that the whole thing was recorded over such a long period of time, where, like, some songs were just sketches that they built on over time, and then some songs were just written in an afternoon, and some songs were, like, start and finish conceptualization in such a short period of time that, like they were a full year removed from other things on the album because it just sounds so coherent together. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess right. that's what a producer's job is, but at the same time, it's like for a band that like functionally are recording as a band for the first time, it was like a pretty remarkable achievement. Oh, definitely. It doesn't just sound like a band, like just like trying to figure things out. Uh, I mean, they are like figuring things out as they're making this record, but it really shows like how like good they are at what they do and like how mm-hmm. like well they were able to work with each other to where it, yeah. it is it's just one big like incredible cohesive piece damn ed drost was 27 when they made this album oh man i just i i knew that it was going to be something under 30 so i knew i was going to make everyone feel old all at once <laughs> <laughs> yeah god damn yeah most most of the musicians we discuss on this show were in their 20s when they did the uh did the album in question yeah did you know that edward is a second cousin on his father's side to another ed drost who is a co-founder of the hooters restaurant chain <laughs> i feel like i did know this at one point today i learned. just just wanted to just wanted to bring that one up yeah that's very good 
because I had to go look up his age just so I could make that quip. But yeah, I mean that's that's the whole thing. We got through the whole album. That's that's album baby. That's album baby. Yeah. Um, this is one where I am not going to try to make a reduced tracklist version of it. I think it works perfectly <laughs> in the way that it is. Yeah. I, yeah. There's no way I could like cut any song, and, and it's already it's only ten. Uh, it's only ten songs. So I mean, like, right. As long yeah. as they I are. I mean, it's like it. It's 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 um. I feel like the album could possibly be a little shorter. But like I would not know where to cut. Yeah, that's like a... someone someone with a much more like intuitive vision would have to do that. Whereas like some albums, you could just be like that song, that song, that breakdown, that verse, and it's like no problem. Could easily get that chop chop it off to the right length, mm-hmm. get it under under forty minutes. Um, no album should be longer than forty minutes. <laughs> Tell that to one Sipion. day we'll cover have one on me, and it'll take three separate episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we'll only ever do one disc at a time. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think the album works remarkably well altogether, and it's like it's almost a little funny to me that this is the lowest rated of like the 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 stretch of Grizzly Bear Best New Musics because yeah. I feel like it's the one that mo- works most cohesively as an album. Although mm. it has been, it's been even longer since I've listened to Shield, so I don't know how much that holds up. I'll have to actually go spend some time with them again. Yeah. Um... That one I checked out a little bit this past week, and I certainly enjoyed listening to it. Uh, but listening back to Yellow House and Becca to Mess, just like I at first, if somebody were to ask me like what my favorite Grizzly Bear al- album it would be, uh, I would maybe say uh, Becca to Mess. Uh, yeah. But listening back to this record, it's 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 kind of it's hard, man. It's hard. Cause they're both. Like, I might say some of my favorite songs are on that one, but I think this one does work better as the piece. Yeah, like this is a better and, like, album. That's, that's really how you kind of have to think of things when you are trying to consider what the better album is. Yeah, like even if you're doing like a like you're, you're trying to compare, it's like which one's the better album and which one has the better songs. Those are not necessarily <laughs> the same answer. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because like this one has such like a, a gift of sequencing. Like it's like every every space is given the right every every song is given the right amount of space to breathe. Mm-hmm. and move around mm-hmm. in and I, I think that that's like a pretty remarkable accomplishment uh considering the constraints under which it was recorded yeah and the fact that they like recorded most of this within a month yeah. is, is they did some practicing yeah. but otherwise yeah they, they pretty much just hashed it out <laughs> they hashed it out and then didn't touch it for two months uh a similar a similar album in terms of like the uh like how early it was in the band's career and uh, the the situation they recorded it in uh, that I can think of is Cryptograms by Deer Hunter, mm-hmm. um, because they recorded that uh, you know outside of a professional studio. It was just kind of in their bedrooms and stuff, um, and it was their it's what they call their first real album because they don't really consider Turn It Up to be uh, an actual album. Um, good good on you for admitting the final word of that title. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's, yeah, like that's another one where, uh, it just ends up being way more than the sum of its parts to me. Um, so it's, it's cool that, uh, you know, bands in the mid aughts like this, uh, were able to kind of create that kind of sound with what they had. God. And if you were to ask me like, which of my favorite deer hunter albums, I would probably say micro castle before I'd say cryptograms. (laughs) So what you're basically telling me is that when we do do a deer hunter episode, we have to do cryptograms. So I can reevaluate my critical opinion. 
They're another band <laughs> right. where people would often confuse who the singer on a song is because they would get Lockett to sing some things and be like, wow, Bradford's voice sounds really nice on this. It's like, no, no, that's the <laughs> other better singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brad Bradford Cox is more of kind of a uh, a, a man who talks in tune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like. I, I feel like uh, Lockett Punt is also just in like the the Daniel Ross and Dan Behar school of like really breathy singers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they they do they do like evoke a similar thing. Like you could probably draw a couple of comparisons between Deer Hunter and uh, and Grizzly Bear just from this era. Speaking Although, of Bradford Cox, uh, Atlas Sound did one of the covers of Knife right. from the Friend EP. I haven't heard that cover in ages. I didn't think to listen to it today. I, so yeah. I'm going to be excited when you layer it into post. I want you to know I look into your Yeah, it was him uh, who did the Atlas Sound cover of it, and then uh, CSS, um, the uh, the electro band, did another cover of uh, of Knife. horses cover of plans which we mentioned earlier uh which is kind of to me it almost reads as like a country hoedown version <laughs> yeah i mean that's just kind of, of what band of, of, band of horses sounds like yeah It's a, they, they seem to really be leaning into it a little bit in this one. Yeah, but it, it works super well. Uh, and I actually like at the towards the end of that cover too. They kind of pull, uh, um, they like slow the song down a little bit, like just a tad, and then they go into a minor key and like sound like how the original song sounds. I just think is is really really choice. I guess there there was also covers of uh, of Grizzly Bear on the Warp Twenty. Um album collection like a uh, cover collection that was that warp put out in 2009 yeah uh the one that the very very funny born ruffians Aphex twin cover is from <laughs> there that was so uh, good <laughs> there's a cover of little brother by jamie liddell mm-hmm. and then also a cover of colorado by pivot yeah and i guess i, I guess we're, we're, we're grizzly bear only on warp for yellow house no i think that would... they were also on warp for the next two albums i think mm-hmm. i think their latest one was re- released on a different label but yeah, Pink yeah, yeah. The Academist was still on work. I just find it funny that like 
I mean, I guess Vecatomist came out the same year as Warp 20, so I guess it would make sense yeah. that they would only be doing Yellow House stuff then. Because like, it's kind of weird that there's no Vecatomist stuff on here, given how huge that album was. Yeah. Um, but it was released only like four months before this covers album, so I imagine yeah. they didn't really have time to get that together. But yeah, a lot of, lot of, lot of good covers of Grizzly Bear stuff, because as I said, yeah. it's like all you could say about Chris Taylor's um, production acumen and how he gets everything like together and sounding like a grizzly bear song. The bones are strong on all of it anyway. So someone can make something work really well, mm-hmm. even without um, all the flourishes. He, yeah. he also had like, like how good Joanna Newsom sounds when it's just her and the harp. Yeah. Still good. Yeah. It, it slaps. Uh, he also had a hand in that uh, twin shadows first record. Um, I think it was released on, oh, on his label. Um, and I think he does a really good job, like production-wise, on that record. And I, if you're like interested in like just him as a producer, like it's definitely worth checking out. Right? Yeah, he does terrible records. That's yep. his thing. Yep. <laughs> I'm just looking Which, at his. I'm uh, looking at his production credits right now. Oh, yeah. he did. He did horns and clarinet on TV on the radio's Return to Cookie Mountain. Now that's a good freaking okay. album. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> It was it was the time in uh, in early Pitchfork where they decided to remember black people exist. <laughs> is when they when they covered TV on the radio. Right. That's the only yeah, time that's... until they started covering rap. <laughs> that's that's another one we'll have to uh, to get to at some point. Oh, it's yeah, a... it was, it's it's that or Dear Science, and they're just such completely different records. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. Like they, it's covering it's like covering two completely different bands. Yeah. And yeah, so he is the producer on on Forget by Twin Shadow. And also the producer on Kishi Bashi's Sonderlust, which is another great record. I think my favorite track on Yellow House is probably Lullaby, um, just because of that that huge outro with the chin up, cheer up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that always that that's that's the evocative gets the people going <laughs> bit for me. Yeah, we do. We we got to mention it every episode. <laughs> yeah. What's evocative? What gets the people going? Yeah. And and Brandon, you said yours is on a neck on a split. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially um, when it goes uh, into that second bit, um, for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, I just think yeah. that whole song whips. Yeah, I'll, I'm just gonna be a dipshit and just say knife. Like I'm always really gonna be atta- attracted <laughs> to the singles on an album. They're gonna be the things that I'm gonna that I'm gonna grab onto the it's hardest. It's such a good fucking song, though. So I mean, like, it is a good song. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like. I'm I'm the guy at the Animal Collective concert saying play my girls because I, I just want to hear it. <laughs> Shut up and play the hits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unironically, yes. D- Daniel Rawson is the panda bear of Grizzly Bear. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> the formerly less forward member that kind of took over and did a lot of the best songs. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just saying the panda bear of Grizzly Bear sounds wrong though. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's There's a sentence many... that if you shot it back in time would get you shot by at least two different Pitchfork contributors. <laughs> yeah, there's too many bear bands. There are too many bear bands. I mean, this one actually has someone with the name Bear in it, so I think they're more That's valid. That's true. Yeah. Which I love. And Ed, Ed, Ed Drost is the grizzly, and Chris Bear is the bear. The rest of them don't get names, because they joined later. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's funny, because it's like pure happenstance that his last name just happens to be Bear. And then he's in like how band. there's two guys in ZZ Top with a beard, and then another guy without a beard named Frank Beard. <laughs> <laughs> Lest we forget. <laughs> anyway, now we're just talking shit. So uh, I mean, I guess we can we can close this one out. We're already running long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. 
Um, anything you want to plug before we before we call this one? Yeah, uh, thanks for. First, of all, I just want to say thank you guys for having me. Um, this is a show that I love. I love listening to you guys, uh, and it's just been an honor to be on the show. So I want to just, just say, ugh, excuse me. Uh, I want to say thank you to you both for for having me. Um, yeah. As far as plugs, um, my podcast, New Nintendo uh, Podcast XL, is a little bit on a hiatus, but I'm looking to reactivate that like relatively soon. So I want to do a call out for that real quick. Just like I'm changing the format of the show slightly. Uh, it was more Nintendo focused, but now I'm just going to open it up to all video games. So if you sure. if you have a game that you want to talk about, like definitely feel free to come on the show. We'll talk about it and just have kind of a low stakes conversation and it'll be a good time. So uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at brnhoff. It's sort of like my main like public Twitter. Um, and then I also do a radio show like at least once a week. It's on Mixler, just mixler.com slash ctw radio show. So feel free to check that out. And I have something coming within the next month, but I can't talk about it right now, but <laughs> it is something that is extremely unhinged and I, I, I can't wait to share it with the world, <laughs> but that's all oh, I'll say. Oh, you know that that's my, yeah. that's my favorite shit. Yeah. But as, uh, as, the yeah, person definitely... who produce, who, as the person who approves all the stupid podcast ideas that people send to me at noise space, um, <laughs> I'm of course a big fan of people suggesting bullshit. So let's go. Yeah, definitely listen to to uh, CTW. Um, it's how I found out about a couple of bands that I've been listening to a lot recently, including nice. uh, including Fly Pan Am, which I had never even heard of until like a couple months ago. Oh yeah, uh, one of the one of the best like uh, post rock like Godspeed adjacent bands that that I really like. Yeah. They they share at least a couple members, right? Yeah, yeah. There's some. Crossover. I mean, they're on Constellation, so <laughs> yeah, they gotta. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone in Constellation Records sleeps in a big bed together, <laughs> like like straight up, just like one of those super wide beds where everyone has their little sleeping caps on. Yeah, um, that's how I imagine Constellation Records, except they're all wearing suits and none of them are smiling. <laughs> it's my impression of uh, of of, uh, of of Constellation. Matt, you want to go next? I'm Matt. You can find me on Twitter at MattGCN. I will occasionally do podcasts, but not very often. Basically, someone just has to say, hey, Matt, do you feel like doing a podcast somewhere in the next two to three weeks? And I'll say, maybe I will crawl out of my hole and deign the internet with my presence <laughs> and uh, and give my superior takes to the online. Uh, and then I crawl right back into my hole and keep working on, like, I don't know, a fucking Pokemon fan game or something. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MattGCN, as I said, and then my podcasts are all on noise space. That's noise space.xyz. That also happens to be where this podcast is hosted. Um, all it powered. Sure is all powered by Pinecast, which is the number one podcast backend service. Why are people still using Libsyn in the year 2021 <laughs> when Pinecast exists? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really nice to use. Um, I'm David. You can find me at, uh, at Dave's with three V's on Twitter. Uh, I make music as spinning voices. Uh, it's synth pop mostly lately, uh, but also chip tunes. Um, I've been doing those since uh, 2008. Um, you can find that at spinningvoices.bandcamp.com. Uh, Bandcamp Friday is coming up on February 5th. Uh, just uh, calling that out for no related yeah, just, reason. Just toss it into your wish list and then uh, yeah. hit that purchase button right when it rolls over to 3 a.m. Eastern time yep. and uh, and get to it. 
Um, yeah. And uh, thank you to uh, Animal Style for the use of the theme song Open Air from the album Open Air. Um, and thank you to Nikki Flowers for the uh, for the cover art for the podcast. Hell yeah. Buy Nikki's music. It's um, great. Yeah. Also that. Yeah. Buy um, Nikki's Nikki music Flowers. on Bandcamp Friday. Yeah. NikkiFlowers.bandcamp.com. Um, and as we always say, I'd never seen a shooting star before. I'd never seen a shooting star before. I have never seen a shooting star before.